Um, we now are going to have a chat with Jim Shembury. Um, as I said at the start of the show, we had such a good time last time, so uh, let's um, let's welcome Jim to the show. Movie critic extraordinaire, I think we did last time. We'll stick with that, hey, Jim? <laughs> Jim? Uh, g'day, Jim. You're there somewhere, I can see. Um, now... Um, okay, so we might just... Wait till Jim. <laughs> he's obviously getting his notes in order. So, oh, yeah. um, but uh, sounds like he's watching a movie right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, good morning, Jim. <laughs> there he is. Oh, I can hear him there. Right here. Yeah, you're here, mate. We could hear you getting prepared. <laughs> um, so, uh, Jim, we morning, gentlemen. Morning. How are, how are things in? Uh... Oh, I'm I'm really enjoying the second weekend out of lockdown six. Yeah, isn't it? Just breaking myself down for lockdown seven. Don't know when it's going to come. <laughs> no, no. I have a bad we... feeling about it, guys. Have you? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, so tell us a little bit about um, uh, what what movies you uh, you wanted to have a, a chat about today because we had last time we had um, we were talking about sideways in the context of um, it was Merlot Day. Um, so, uh, but you've been, you've seen some others recently, Jim? Like, um, well, yeah, listen, I, I just wanted to quickly mention uh, just two films that have a, a wine connection for you. One is a film that opened on Thursday called Chasing Wonders. It's a very nice family drama set in the Barossa Valley. And right. it's about a Spanish family but a young kid in a Spanish family and his troubled relationship with his father and about the expectations put on him about whether he's going to run the wine business. And uh, it's a very, very nice film written by Judy Morris, who some people might remember as a wonderful actress. She was at the very centre of the Australian film renaissance in films such as in search of Anna, she, for about the last 20 years, has been concentrating on being a writer, and she has written the script for this very, very nice family film that I think is showing, it's showing uh, in Melbourne and I think in Sydney at the moment. Mm. And that has the wine theme in it because it's set in the Barossa Valley in uh, a winery. Another film to do with wine, which is very, very funny. It's on Netflix. It's called Wine Country. Have either of you guys heard of this film? Uh, haven't seen it, but uh, aware of its existence. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's, it's directed by Amy Poehler. It's her first film as a director. Amy Poehler, I am sure you guys know yeah, very, her from... Very funny. The, yeah, she's very, very funny and incredibly talented, responsible for the TV show Parks and Recreation, mm. which I actually think on occasion hits peaks of comic brilliance. It's a great show. Very, very funny. A wonderful cast of characters. Wine Country is her first film as a director, yep. and it's about a bunch of women who celebrate the 50th birthday of one of their friends by going to the Napa Valley on a wine tour through the Napa Valley. So the Napa Valley and the wineries and wine tasting and all that kind of stuff 
serves as the backdrop for what these women go through. And basically, they are all sort of going through one version or another of what can best be described as post-midlife crisis. (laughs) They've already hit midlife, but now they are actually, you know, going through the travails of what it's like being 50-plus and the infirmities and the (laughs) illnesses and the doubts and the, uh, and the, uh, the, 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 the reflections of what happens when you actually hit your 50s. The group of women that uh, Amy Palmer has brought together for this film, they're all, uh, most of them are from Saturday Night Live. There seems to be a lot of improvisation in the film, and it just crackles. Yeah. Very, very funny film. So that's another one I thought I'd just quickly mention. And, and Jim, in, yes. since you were on last, you had a couple of recommendations. One of them, which was awesome, was called was uh, Uncorked. Um, yes. So just just um, recap that one for, for people because that we're now giving them three yeah. wine movies, which you know. Sure, sure. Just quickly, uncorked um, is available on Netflix. Oh, Wine Country, by the way, is on Netflix. Uh-huh. Also on Netflix, uncorked. Just a really, really well-made film about uh, a young kid who is expected to take over his father's very successful barbecue restaurant business, but. He's actually interested in wine. He wants to be a wine connoisseur. He wants to be, you know, just up there. He wants to go to... Don't, uh, don't we all? <laughs> yeah, uh, and he's really serious about it. And there is plenty of discussion in that film about wine, about different types of wine, about what re- wine can reflect about someone's personality or what they want in a wine, depending on what mood they're in. Um, it's a really, really well put together film that you that actually uses wine as part of the story. It's a central part of the story. The pro, the primary thing though is the relationship between this kid and his dad, mm. and whether his father will, you know, actually accept the fact that his son wants to do something different with his life. And it's a pretty um, it's a pretty warts and all film too. It's not a it's not all smiles and sunshine in terms of this guy wanting to be a wine connoisseur. It actually shows, guys, how hard it is and mm. yeah, highlights the science. Because he was looking to do the involved. Master Sommelier course. Yeah. It, yeah. 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 And um, the, those, the, the, at one point, there were more people who'd been in space than were Masters of Wine, you know. Mm. Uh, it's, it's incredibly difficult sort of qualifications to get. Yeah. Well, after seeing this film, that doesn't surprise me at all. And that, so that really comes across really well. But, Simon, Richard, the reason why um, I think I'm, I'm, I'm back on air today is because the last time when we did this spot, I don't know why, but of all the films I mentioned, I didn't mention the one film that I should have mentioned. And that is the 1987 comedy with Nail and I. Yeah, with, oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, how, how can you talk about wine and not mention that film? Richard, help me, I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, I know that the, uh, the the guys from Winefront, you know, Gary Walsh, and all, that's like one of their favourite sort of films as well, yeah, yeah, when it comes to that sort of film. Well, it is, it is just a superb film. It was not in any way, shape or form a hit when it came out. Nor was it a film that actually had much favour from the production company when it was being made. 
the producer, Dennis O'Brien, told the writer-director, Bruce Robinson, that on the first day of production, they nearly shut it down. He said, There's, there are no jokes in this movie. Who is going to want to see this film? And Bruce Robinson nearly walked on the movie. He nearly just said, well, it's first day of production. I'm happy to just leave this thing to you. I'm happy to get out of here. <laughs> but he actually ended up winning the day. And uh, they said, look, this is such a low-budget movie. Just go make it. And he ended up making it the way he wanted. He ended up having to pay for some crucial scenes in the film. Mm, That's how own, unlike yeah. it was. Out of his own money. Out of his own pocket. Yeah. Uh, you know the, the the big payoff scene where they're driving, you know, they, they drive. Spoiler alert. It's about alert. two actors. <laughs> it's about two out-of-work actors. <laughs> the story, the film has no story. I mean, there's no plot in the film at all. <laughs> Very Seinfeld. The Seinfeld came out of that, really, didn't it, in terms of that? No story. Well, the, well, the, I, the idea that you could actually make a, a, a film that has, that, there is no three-act structure in the film. Mm. There's no, there are no formal narrative conventions in the film. It's about two actors down in their luck, living in squalor, decide, okay, look, let's go to the country for a, for a, for a few days. Maybe that'll just sort of change things and, and lift our spirits a bit. So they stay there. It's a disaster. And then they come back, and that's the story. And what floats the film is the performances, uh, 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 the performance by Richard E. Grant as Withnail. That was the film that basically started his career. And, of course, he's, a, he's just drinking all the time because he is so forlorn about the state of his non-career. I think he's done one <laughs> commercial and he's just railing against the world the whole time. And he just drinks wine and various other liquids during the film. And are you guys aware of the tradition that this film started? It ignited... No, no, you have to enlighten us, mate. Okay, sure. You've heard of the drinking game? Well, I've, I've, I've even invented a few in my time. But <laughs> right, well, this, <laughs> this film... Uh, so every time something happens in the film, you have to have a, 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 a drink. drink. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, but I, I, I've, I've got to say, uh, that will actually leave you in quite a state. And <laughs> right. somebody once on film actually did that. I think if you go on YouTube, somebody actually does the drinking game with Withnail and I. So every time somebody in the film takes a drink, they take a drink. <laughs> and there's a lot of drinking. And by the end of it, you're going to be blotto. But it's become very, very popular. And the film itself has become a cult classic. I think because ultimately, it is about the relationship between these two guys. And although they're basically living in squalor and they are living right at the bottom end of the social scale, guys, it's really strange, but there is an intimacy and a warmth to the squalor which they inhabit. The thing that really keeps them warm, even though they're bickering all the time, is their friendship. They're actually getting each other through this difficult period in their life, which was based on Bruce Robinson's own experience as a young actor. So that's with Dale and I. That film, you can get it if you look for it on DVD. But I'm telling you guys, I must be one of the few people on earth that has the special two-disc edition of that <laughs> film. I actually went to JB Hi-Fi uh, the other day, just 
to see if it was available. And the lovely young lady who helped me out couldn't find the film anywhere on their catalogue, said they'd never actually had it in stock, as far as she could find out. And being a, a young, I think she was, she was 19, 20 years old, she told me, had never heard of the film. So I think it's very much a film that belongs to our generation. And um, I can only hope that people do discover the film as they mature, Richard and Simon, and actually understand that, as I said last time, a good film is like a good wine. Hmm. It's better with age. Now, Jim, you didn't actually go into JB Hi-Fi and ask for that film on beta, did you? <laughs> no, not on, not, not on beta. They don't release oh, no. beta. films on beta, unfortunately, <laughs> um, anymore, because, again, I don't know how many other people out there, I'm sure a lot of people out there might boast that they have a beta machine Nobody's got and beta. have films on beta. But how many people out there are such losers <laughs> that, they actually, that they actually have two beta machines? Uh, tape to and tape, those were the days. Yeah, and that's me. I've, I've, got, uh, I've got two beta machines and I've got a small collection of films on beta, which I'm never going to throw away. I don't know why. They are not worth anything. They're valueless, <laughs> but... It's kind of like this is history. Yeah, this yeah. is the history of uh, of movie watching, and of, uh, I think it's like one of the Star Wars films on Peter. So uh, imagine me putting that on eBay. Imagine how many cents I could get for that. <laughs> <laughs> and then if he signed it, um, Jim Shembury, I wonder what that does to the price, Jim. Probably, I tell you what, if you can, if you can sell a copy of The Empire Strikes Back on Peter. For say a dollar fifty, if I sign the, the copy of it, if I actually sign it uh, on the cover, I reckon it might bring it down to maybe twenty five cents. Oh, well, you'd have to throw in a twenty dollar note or something with it. <laughs> throw in uh, a lobster. Well, yeah. <laughs> a couple, couple <laughs> of dollars. Yeah, I don't think I'm, I'm ever going to part company with that. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that one's get, I think that that copy of the Empire Strikes Back on Beta is going to have to come with me when I go. <laughs> yeah, right. That'll be the first thing into the grave. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, um, so, so I'm very glad to finally uh, Thank you. Yes. cover with Nail and I, and I do apologise for not covering it in the previous spot that we did. That was a huge oversight on my uh, my part, and I apologise to you guys and to the public in general for that. <laughs> um, people who know the film will, uh, will will know what a huge oversight that was, but there it is. It's there, and it's... Um, it's it's still I gotta tell you now it's 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 coming up to its twenty fifth um, anniversary and it is still a wonderful wonderful film. Sorry, nineteen eighty seven thirty fifth anniversary. What am I yeah. talking about? Yeah. So do they now, Avatar, do they re release things? Yeah. <clears throat> yes. Now this you is one what? I wanted to know about because Avatar I loved it. So tell us what what is the latest with that? With the hey, new. I'm very happy to give you an update. I gotta stress though that. There's no wine really no. in the film, and it's not really that's, wine related. That's, that's, um, uh, you can maybe uh, you know, try to figure out what you would drink while watching yes. uh, the film. Something blue. Yeah, is, uh, is there think, a blue wine? What's a cocktail? Yeah, uh, well, I, it would. Be, well, wasn't the the you know the element they were mining called unobtainium? Is it, that was a pretty lazy bit of winemaking? Oh, sorry, not winemaking, oh, a bit of filmmaking, wasn't it? Unobtainium. Talk about. Talk about <laughs> 
talk about I couldn't be bothered actually coming up with a name. <laughs> right? Yeah, that must, mean, it was like Blue Harvest, mate. Like that was the that was the working title, surely. Yeah, it's, uh, look, I, I just uh, as an aside, I've really got to say, look, mate, it's 2009. James Cameron, technically, the film was beyond measure. It was a standard setup. The effects uh, were absolutely fantastic. The creation of this world on this uh, on this planet with floating mountains, absolutely beyond pure, fantastic. It was also meant to herald a new era of 3D. Mm. The 3D in the film was sensational. The 3D films that followed is, in its wake, supposedly, uh, as part of this new era of 3D films, they just did not uh, work. They did not uh, impress the public enough to start up a new era of 3D films. But so technically, Avatar, a beautiful film, great film. We certainly saw it second time in the cinemas. Story-wise, not so much. I actually called it a post-content film. And I actually said that to James Cameron's face when he was in Queensland shooting a film called Sanctum. And... Uh, I think that uh, put me in his bad books forever, <laughs> calling it a post-content film because the story was so weak. But, uh, you know, policy is always, to be honest, I said it, so not a big fan of Avatar, but Avatar 2 is meant to be coming out, guys. Simon, you're obviously keen for it, this time next year. Okay. They've well, filmed it, it already. Since we're yep. talking about movies and wine, though, right? So yeah. James Bond's favourite champagne, you know, Bollinger Grandinet. Have you seen the new Bond film? Are we don't want to oh. give any spoiler alerts? Does he drink any champagne in it? Is he? He's got well, a he's got a cocktail named after the chick Vesper, right? That was that. yeah. He, well, he, he he does a little bit of drinking in the new Bond film, but what he does mostly in the film is he runs and <laughs> he actually yeah, and, which he does in most Bond films. But the other thing that he does in this Bond film that we have not seen him do a lot of, especially in the last 20 years or so, is relate emotionally to another character. And just to get off Avatar 2 just for a moment, the new Bond film, No Time to Die, is absolutely splendid. It is an absolutely great Bond film. It's one of the best Bond films in the franchise. You've got to see it, guys. On a big screen. It's nearly three hours long. Oh, that is a long Bond film. That's very long. Yeah, sorry? That's very long for a Bond film. It, 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 it sounds very long for a Bond film, but I'm telling you right now, guys, and I am the one who will complain about an animation film being too long if it runs for 100 minutes. So I am very, very wary of how long films go for. But I've got to tell you, you can see where they put the time in with this film. Mm. Not just with the action sequences, which you are entitled to and which you expect to see, but it's in the relationship he has with this woman and with her daughter. And that is what sells the film as a story. He actually has something emotional at stake in this film. So you're watching this thing going... Great action, superb chases, really well done. Um, in you know, for, for for the most part, great action. But why am I really into this movie? It's because you're seeing him as a character, as a real three-blooded, three-dimensional character. So, no time to die. It was. 
on the shelf for like nearly two years, this movie. Yeah. Could you imagine the producers, how many anxiety tablets they would have been on? They'd be freaking out in those production meetings, I imagine. Oh, they would have been, well, because as you guys probably know, when a film is made, um, it's when it completes production and is ready to be released, there are a lot of investors out there going, well, I really hope the film hits so we can get our money back. Mm-hmm. Pound when of flesh. When a film sits on a shelf, it is like, it's like it's accruing interest on its debt. It's sitting there and it's not earning money. Mm. And so something that should have earned, like the Fast and Furious 9 movie, that was sitting on the shelf for a long time. That should have earned a billion dollars. And it's sitting there doing nothing. And its investors, including the studio, are going, well, when are we going to get our money from this movie? So putting a film on a shelf for a long time is a very expensive exercise. In this case, I think it's paid off for them. Um, So, yeah, new Bond film is terrific. Avatar 2, Simon, ready to, uh, uh, to see it next year. And then soon after that, you're going to see Avatar 3 because guess what? They shot them both at the same time, apparently, mm. in New Zealand. Um, someone's uh, uh, taken the lead from, uh, uh, from The Lord of the Rings, from Peter Jackson, who shot his three films in one go. It's basically one production run. Yeah. And not only do you get all your films made, you can save a huge amount of dough. So Avatar 3 to come out about a year or so, I'd say, after Avatar 2, which is next year, and which brings everybody back into the movie, including, Simon, Sigourney Weaver. Now, how are they going to do that? She died at the end of the first film. Oh, well, so, uh, never, never let the truth get in the way of a good story because they killed, <laughs> her. They killed, keep, they killed her off in Alien and she came back, right? Or Aliens? Uh, no, they put her in deep sleep. No, no, she went into hypersleep. Oh, they Alien. killed all the other people off. No, I think, yeah, you're right. There. Yeah, um, yeah, but, but, with, uh, but with, um, uh, <laughs> with Avatar, you know, they're going to bring her back or they're going to... She is coming back. I don't know if the character is coming back. Maybe it's her twin sister or something. Yeah, right. um, but uh, so uh, we'll see what happens with Avatar. And by the way, uh, a lot of talk about new technology, shooting this thing underwater with motion capture. New technology has been invented. Not a lot of discussion about 3D. So we'll see if it comes out in 3D again. Mm. <laughs> speaking of uh, characters being killed off, uh, in the early yeah. 2000s, I was mate, mates in Sydney with a film director. And he was filming this thing with Sam Worthington. And it was like, you know, meant to be the Australian version of Lock stock and two smoking barrels, whatever. Anyway, I dressed up for this key scene in a set in a casino. Um, yeah. And, yeah, uh, they cut my scene from the film and it went straight to... didn't even go straight to video. It went straight to Channel 9 and they changed... Yeah, it was absolutely terrible, but I've never forgiven Sam Worthington for that. So, I, I don't know if I, <laughs> not sure if I can go see Avatar. Just just on, you know... Yeah. I'm so, no, so I gotta upset. Give it, i got, I got to give it to Sam Worthington. He's a very, very good actor. Yeah, I'm sure he's a great um, bloke as well, but, you know... Yeah. Now, uh, Simon, am I able to slip in a quick uh, Dune yes. review? Yes, yep, let's, absolutely. Because having just spoken of the new Bond film, and almost to celebrate the fact that we I now can go back to the cinema, there's Dune, which is a science fiction film directed by and written by uh, Denise Villeneuve, who's a very, very good director. And this is, I think, the third attempt to translate Frank Herbert's classic 1965 science fiction novel, Dune, 
which I remember out my generation, everybody owned a copy, nobody ever read it. <laughs> and it is an absolutely, I saw it in IMAX, and it's like, so this is why we're back in the cinema, to see films like this. It is splendid. It is not hard to follow. Quite sensibly, this is part one of the Dune story. And I, I, as well as looking like they went out into space and shot it on another planet. I mean, that is how great the film looks. And we can thank cinematographer Greg Fraser, who's from Melbourne, for how brilliant this film looks. This guy has got a magnificent international reputation. Um, he did Zero Dark Thirty and a number of other films. And just the look of this film is just so luminous and beautiful and detailed and stately. At the same time, you have the story of this sort of intergalactic uh, dynasty who is given dominion over a planet called Arrakis where they, they mine spice, which helps them travel through space. The locals use it for health reasons, um, but those who come to mine the spice on this desert planet use it to travel through space. So they come and they're taking over from another group of people who exploited the locals. They exploited the indigenous peoples. These new people come and they want to do a, a, a much better deal for the locals. They want to make peace with them. They want them as allies. And the story uh, uh, is about a young guy, Timothy Chalamet, who is, who is next in line to become the king of uh, the, the, the planet and he's going to be taking over from uh, uh, from his father and it's just absolutely uh, Oscar Isaac's place is there by the way and that story the story of the family is really it's intimate and it's really well sculpted and well rounded and it's involving and there are on the one hand there are these big huge vistas and action scenes but there are also these scenes where it's just two people relating in a room as the, as the emotional story develops. So a little bit like Bond, you're getting the best of both worlds. You're getting a great big spectacle of a film. And you're also getting this really beautifully uh, fashioned, intimate, personal story. In this case, about a young guy finding himself in a new world and finding his place there and sort of understanding what his father was trying to do and whether he can continue on in that tradition. And it's just absolutely sensational. Don't be surprised if you see this movie up for a Best Film Oscar because it's that good. It reminds... I don't know if you guys are familiar with David Lean, the director, Lawrence of Arabia, Dr. Zhivago, those yep. sorts of films. I know the movie's not him particularly. <laughs> yeah. um, this actually, this if, if David Lean was alive today, my sad theory is that this is the kind of science fiction film he would have made. Because as Lawrence of Arabia showed, he you can balance the epic with the intimate. And that's what Dune does. Sensational movie, very strongly recommended. See it in the cinemas. Don't see it on TV. Um... Uh, Dennis Villeneuve would have been very, very upset uh, with Warner's uh, co-releasing films in cinemas and on HBO Max. He was very upset about that, and a lot of people did see it on 
on TV with its release, that would not have pleased him at all. Um, but uh, so see it on a big screen, it's absolutely fantastic. And that too was sitting on the shelf, guys, for nearly 18 months. Wow. <laughs> well, Jim, you've given us a lot of a lot of movie fodder, a lot of lot of things to be to uh, go out and see. And and I think, like you say, isn't it great to be able to get back to the movies and enjoy that cinema experience? You know that that big screen immersive. Yeah. Absolutely. I got to tell you, you can, you know, you can. I've got a really great home theatre setup, guys. I'm really proud of it. And, you know, if I really want to just sit back and, and drink in a movie, I'll pump up through my home theatre and big stereo sound and big luminous picture on, on my. But I'm telling you, you can only ever approximate the cinema feeling at yeah. home. Yeah. In order to truly enjoy a film that is intended for the big screen. That's where you got to see it. So, uh, strongly recommend those films. And you know, maybe you can, uh, you know, to, to tie it in with your show, um, have a glass of wine afterwards to well, celebrate. I think so. <laughs> I, I, it sounds like Bond at three hours. Maybe you need to have a bottle to, to kind of get you through the journey. Yeah, so. I, you know what? I'm a bit surprised they don't they haven't reintroduced the idea of intermissions these days. Yeah, right. Um, you know, you could see that film in two parts quite easily. Same yeah. with uh, Dune, but. You know, you just got to go to the uh, little boys' room beforehand. <laughs> make sure you don't drink any, uh, you know, ca- caffeinated beverages in the film, during the film, um, in order, I think, to survive it. Alfred Hitchcock very famously said that uh, the average film should not run any longer than the endurance capability of the average bladder. <laughs> A wise man. Yes, good yeah, point. Very, very wise man. Brilliant and wise and very, very funny as well. <laughs> um, Jim, thank you. It is, it's a pleasure and, and thank you for your time and, and that was fun and it just always is. So we'll do it again in the new year. And, uh, My pleasure. That is awesome, mate. Have, have fun. Enjoy, uh, enjoy the rest of your, your Sunday. And, no um, problem. You too, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, mate. Thanks, Jim. See you, Jim. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.